Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Gary Tonnen. Uh, we're in Costa Rica. We just were finishing up the last day uh, of our Pura Vida BJJ camp. Um, how are you feeling right now? I'm a little tired. Uh, <laughs> definitely been a long week of uh, not very much sleep for, for me at least. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, man. And like, uh, I really liked the way that, that we did the camp. You know, a lot of training sessions and uh, you know, I got to see a little bit of Costa Rica. I've been to Costa Rica before, but uh, only San Jose, which is like in the city. So uh, this time we got to see, uh, I got to see more like the beach, you know, and uh, it was a, a different look at things. It's, it's always beautiful over here. Yeah, and I know you said, didn't get a lot of sleep. I think we did a lot of jujitsu. We did a lot of, uh, you taught a lot and, and we also uh, went out a lot. And yeah. I had some fun a too. A lot of partying this week for sure, uh, to say the least. I don't get too many, uh, too many opportunities at a vacation. So this week I was teaching jujitsu, and uh, I definitely took the opportunity to uh, to go out after for sure. So you know, everybody, most people know you as a, a great competitor. Probably most people that listen listen to this. But uh, what are your thoughts on you know what what makes a good teacher? Because not all you know, there's a lot of great competitors and. And there's a lot of good teachers, and they don't all they don't those two things don't always intersect, right? Like there's yeah. there's some some competitors that maybe aren't as skilled at teaching, and some teachers that that aren't you know maybe aren't ha, haven't had much success in competition. And I think that um, you're definitely focused on competition, but you teach a lot too. You have your school, uh, you do a lot of seminars, you do things like this, like like, like the camp. Um, what? What do, you, what do you think your teaching style is and what, what makes a good teacher for you? Well, first and foremost, I think any teacher, there has to be a, a higher level of commitment than just a, like, it's a, like a job title, you know? Like I think um, if it's looked at, if it, being a teacher for a person is looked at as uh, just like another job, but it, it's never gonna be uh, very successful uh, school, then they're never gonna have very successful students. Um, to me, it, it's a, a higher level of commitment than um, a normal job because you have to really care. You know, it's not like, um, you know, you just do your work and then you're done for the day or whatever the case may be. Like, you're essentially responsible for the development of other human beings um, on and off the mats. And it's, it's not just, the, your work doesn't really even just end, you know, teaching your students. You know, they're going to come to you with their problems and their life. and. And uh, I think that uh, the number one thing for a, for a good teacher is just somebody who really cares, so somebody who's going to be there to, to help out the students. You know, they call they call me at three in the morning. Uh, I have to, I have to be there for them. You know, that's the that's I, that's the case. Thankfully, you know, not too many of my students call me at three in the morning and need me. But you know, <laughs> that's the kind of level of commitment that I think uh, people need. And I think sometimes when uh, you know a competitor just goes over to teaching, it's not really a passion of theirs, and they had a passion for competing, but Maybe not so much for helping other people and teaching other people. I don't think that's. I don't think it's just every. It's what everybody's interested in. I think some people are, some people aren't. So I, I think that's like number one for me. You know. Yeah, and and from in the context of of a seminar, like you do a lot of seminars and kind of what we're doing here in Costa Rica, uh, you, it's a little different because you know you might see these people once, twice a year, right? You're not you're not going to interact with them as much. You're not going to be involved in in their lives as much, but. You know, you're still you're still giving them something to take away and, and something that's like going to impact them. So, what do you what's your what's your kind of strategy with that? Like, if you're gonna if you have a short amount of time with people and 
and let's say a seminar and you want you want them to to, to get something out of it what's yeah. your strategy there so there's definitely there's definitely like a two-pronged approach uh, you know you're gonna have times uh, teaching a seminar where I just like you said I have a, a short period of time to impact and then other times where I'm at my school you know most of the time I'm teaching all the classes at my school I have you know a couple people that fill in a couple people teaching other classes when I'm not there, but for the most part, I, I get a long lasting impact on these guys. I'm gonna get to see them every day. So I can take a little bit of a longer approach um, to impact their jujitsu. Um, you know, I, I think when it comes to seminars, you know, I try to show what people wanna see because they paid money to be there. So oftentimes I ask people what they wanna see, etc. But I always try my best to gear the seminar around um, some sort of conceptual element of jujitsu so that they leave with not just movements to learn because sometimes it's not enough time to, to perfect a particular movement or the, even the movements that were done in the seminar might not even be movements that are, you know, are good for the student's body type or stuff that they really, uh, they're really going to use or whatever the case may be. Um, but there are, all, there are conceptual elements that are always consistent in the sport that any student can learn. And even if the moves that I had given that day um, didn't fit within that construct, then uh, some other moves that they learned could, you know, just taking any position, for example, you know, uh, of defense, like something like side control defense or something, I may teach, you know, uh, some form of a shrimping escape into a triangle, and maybe that's not, maybe that's not for that student, maybe they, they prefer an armbar or something like that, but the conceptual element that I was trying to get across was that when we defend a particular position, we go right into a submission hold. So it doesn't have to be the one that I showed, but it has to be something, the, the concept is still there. They get to leave with the concept and, and it still affects their jujitsu later on, even if they didn't get all the moves of the seminar, you know? And that, that was one of the, the things you taught today that that yeah. was, that was kind of your, your main concept that you were, one of the lessons that we did today at the camp you, you taught. I think another, another takeaway I had on that, that I, and maybe it's because I've you know gotten to train with you a little bit and, and stuff like that. But you're very um, uh, loose when you train in a way that like you take you, you attack a lot, but you take a lot of a lot of risk, like you said. And I think that's a really um, a really fun way to train. And, and also uh, you don't see that a lot, right? Especially when when two you know if you're if you're training with somebody who's more skilled or, or, sure. or you know so you're not people aren't as open like that and you said one of the reasons why is because you focus so much on defense and not so much like like defending shutting down the initial yes. attacks but but defending after the attacks get going mm -hmm. so you have that confidence you know you can escape uh could you talk a little bit about how, how you kind of how'd you develop that and that's something yeah i mean you have a great we'll talk about this later but great teachers great teammates Mm -hmm. But I feel like that part of it is is sort of, um, if not unique to you, more more pronounced in your game than even even sure. your great teammates and some of your teachers that, that you've had. So could you talk about how that developed? Yeah. How you developed? Yeah. That? So first of all, there's a two pronged approach, and I can use two different athletes to to describe the two different approaches. Um, there's one approach to defense in jujitsu, which is preventative defense, and it's not to say that these two defenses can't coexist. They obviously have to. Um, to some degree, but but there will always be people that lean towards one type or the other, dependent upon their personality. Um, so the the first type of defense is is a preventative style defense, where uh, I'm going to do everything in my power to not expose any any dangerous situations uh, to my opponent. So like I'm not going to extend my arm uh, and potentially uh, endanger my arm. You know, giving my training partner an arm bar or something like that. I, I'll always 
you know, make sure that I keep my elbow in or if there's any type of extension at all, I'll stop whatever motion I'm doing, focus on retracting the arm and then go back to attacking again, okay? And then there's another style of defense or another uh, tier of defense, I, I often describe it as, where you're already in an extended position, say somebody already has a fully extended arm bar, okay? And then you're going to, you're going to defend at that point. Okay, basically at the point of, of no return where you're probably gonna get submitted if you don't do anything about it immediately. Um, and I always leaned towards developing my later tier escapes or my, uh, my defenses um, when I'm in that, that worst case scenario more so than any type of preventative defenses. Um, and that is, like I said, it was a personality choice. And when I said I was going to use an example of two different athletes, when you take Eddie Cummings, for example, who you know, uh, represents our team very well in many competitions, uh, he takes much more of a preventative approach. If you trained with Eddie in the gym, anybody that was listening to this or, or yourself, I don't know, um, he's not going to let you get anything on him ever. Like, it's just not going to happen. You know, I'm not going to say that you can't hit a movement on him, but he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that he doesn't get put in a bad defensive situation. That's his style of jiu-jitsu. He's gonna keep protect himself, keep himself safe, and attack the whole time. That's his. That's his. The way he looks at things. Um, whereas myself, on the other hand, uh, I tend to take some more risks to get the opponent to give me something. You know, um, I think John said something very insightful once, where he said that uh, he was talking to a boxer. I don't remember which one. Somebody you know, um, fairly uh, well known and, and very good. And the boxer said. Uh, you know, one of the biggest mistakes in boxing is people who, who fear their opponent's offense. Um, he says for him, he welcomed the, the offense because it was his greatest opportunity to attack his opponent. So every time his opponent threw a punch, he felt as though that was the opening for the attack. And I feel the same in jiu-jitsu. Every time my opponent attacks one of my limbs, I feel as though that's one of my greatest opportunities to attack my opponent. So that's kind of the way that I've looked at things. But in terms of a de developmental approach, this is far before uh, Eddie and John were, were there. Um, and Tom was like my main instructor. Um, it, it, I don't even necessarily believe that, that Tom ever said anything or did anything that made me lean this direction. I think it, came, it stemmed from my personal development where, I mean, he definitely coached, he told us, you know, put yourselves in bad positions. And I think these are things that any coach says to their students, like kind of cliche things like, oh, you guys got to, you should work on your defense, this, that, and everything. But I think what it really came from was I came to a new school. Tom's, Tom just started his academy. And uh, I was like 14 years old, 13, uh, sorry, 14 years old, 15 years old. And I was small, like 135 pounds, something like that. And it was a, I was in with the adults, you know, there was no like teen class at the time. Um, and it was a bunch of guys who were like over 200 pounds. I mean, some of them a little lighter than that, um, who were just super athletic and aggressive. And like I was on the defensive end of things all the time. And what I started to realize and like I kind of put together in my head is like, all right, well, like, I'm, I want to learn how to get out of all these submission holds and get out of all these bad positions. That's going to be my number one project for like the next six months or something like that. Because I knew that if I could do that, that no matter what somebody did to me, I'd always be able to recover. You know, if you focus just on that preventative aspect of defense, if that's your main thing, if that's your only thing, every time somebody puts you in real danger, it's a struggle. It's, it, there's anxiety. You're, you're fearing for your life essentially because you're one step away from getting finished and you don't practice, you know, getting out of those positions. So for me, I, I always made it a habit of like, literally like giving up like a fully locked triangle and, you know, fully extended armbar and all these things just to, 
just to work out of these positions so that I was ready, you know, from a defensive standpoint. And anybody that was put in front of me, I could essentially do anything I wanted, get put in the, the worst position possible, and still be okay. I knew that I, I had the confidence that I was like, oh, I'm gonna get out of this submission hold. I'll be fine, I can progress. And it really starts, as much as that seems like a defensive strategy, it really starts to open up your offensive jujitsu because now I have all these other options that I can, I can do that a normal person wouldn't be able to. Oh, I can't do that move because it exposes my back too much. I can't do that move because a lot of times it gives up the armor. Where me, like, I just don't care because I just, I'm very confident that I'm gonna be able to escape whatever that submission is. So it, it really opens up the field of opportunity a lot more for different submissions, I think. And, and as you were as you were kind of developing that game, you say you know you were at Tom's school. You were going against bigger, a lot of bigger people. Um, what did did you get into a lot of injuries when you're extended in those positions? <laughs> was that something that you dealt with a thankfully, lot? Thankfully, thankfully for me, I was very young when I started jujitsu, so I think that saved me a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I have injuries now. I don't talk about them much because. Um, I feel it just gives things away to my opponents, but I definitely deal with chronic, you know, pain and injuries and I, you know, again, I'm not going to say specifically which ones, um, but yeah, my, my abilities to do some of the things that I used to do when I was younger in terms of putting myself in some of those worst case scenario positions are more limited, you know, um, but I still make it a point, how I, even if, you know, in the past it used to be, you know, I'd get caught in 10 triangles a week, you know, fully locked and, uh, now it's only once a week. Like I still make it a point to to do it. You know what I mean? Whatever whatever the case may be, or if it I'm really you know in pain or whatever the case may be, and it's not something that I can handle, then you know I do it in a slightly uh, lesser simulation. Perhaps I use one of my younger students to put me in one of those bad positions, or you know less athletic or smaller or something like less technical, so that it's not going to be as strenuous on my body. Uh, I do this a lot with. Uh, with my stand-up training now, I work with like a lot of, like, to get just my extra training in, I, I spar with like my kids, like my teenagers. I don't hit them hard, you know, but I just, I just use it as defensive practice. These guys just throw punches at me and just having somebody in front of you throwing punches and moving around with you is, is good practice. And my brain, I'm not taking brain damage, you know what I mean? Like it's a 13 year old, the worst case scenario, he hits me as hard as he can, it's not the end, I'm not getting knocked out. You know what I mean? So, um, I think that that's kind of, as I gotten older, that's been the shift, right? Is I have to be a little bit smarter with my body and, uh, you know, so that I don't end up not being able to train because I'm putting myself in these bad positions, you know? And, and do you, do you, what kind of, what percentage more or less breakdown do you, you train, uh, you know, you, you train with these guys like that are high level, uh, Gordon Ryan, Eddie Cummings, guys yes. like that versus, you know, like you, your students, like the examples you gave, you were talking about striking there, but but like, you know, whether it's jiu-jitsu or whatever, what percentage of your training is is with people, let's say your your level, your peers versus training with people at, lo at maybe a lower level, newer students? Mm, good question. I think I wanna say it leans more towards uh, lower level students than uh, like upper level training. I wanna say that, that like when I, when I think about the breakdown throughout my week, I wanna say that the majority of my training is done with people relatively below my skill level. Um, and then, you know, you have, I would, I don't know exactly what the percentage is, but I will say this essentially is that I, I don't believe that you need to be, to getting the shit kicked out of you by like 20 black belts every day, you know, all day to get better at jujitsu. I think you need to have like inspiration. You need to have people around you that are, you know, also trying to develop in the sport and, um, you know, whether it's 
good coaching or whether it's another high level athlete around, like you need some, somebody around sometimes, but I don't, I don't think that like, you know, going into a room with just a bunch of, of killers beating you up all day is necessarily making you better at jujitsu more so than practicing your skills with uh, people that are below your skill. I think there's a time and a place for both. I think you need your tough training sessions for sure. Otherwise, just like I said before, like those tough defensive positions won't be, uh, you won't feel them as, 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 too much, as much of a serious level as you normally would. Um, but at this, in the same respect, like if I just trained with all my, you know, all the people that are worse than me all the time and like, you know, I, I would have, I would have trouble like getting that real competition feeling when I went out to compete. But it's a very useful tool for me to practice some of the things that I'm working on so that I can actually hit some of the movements. You know, I, I got to do, you know, some of my, some of my experimental stuff on Gordon and it's like, you know, it's going to be tough. You know, he's bigger than me and, you know, very technical and it's, it's going to be hard to hit like a brand new movement on him sometimes. So I still, I still do try, but I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's, uh, you need both in order to develop properly. I think in this sport, um, for sure. What do you, what do you think? You mentioned Gordon. Uh, uh, what do you, what do you think, uh, it, his approach is, is it a little different than yours as far as, you know, like, like you, you talked about, you expose yourself when you're in training mm -hmm. to, to defense and, and then we you talked a little bit about Eddie, uh, how, mm -hmm. how his approach is. What, what's, where does Gordon kind of fall in your mind as far as I think that goes? we, I think we all kind of affected each other in a way. Like, um, you know, when we started working with each other, I, I think, um, I think if if I impacted Gordon in in any major way, I would say that that would be the biggest impact. It would be I think, I think that prior to 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 me coming into the picture for Gordon, because I wasn't his very first instructor. Um, he was training under the instructor that opened the gym that I now own, which is Sazin Ibrahim and uh, Miguel Benitez were the guys running the gym. What's the, what's the name of your gym? Uh, Brunswick Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's my school now, but uh, back then, like, that's who he was training under originally. And then I came into the picture maybe a year into his training or something. And I think uh, most of the majority of his training sessions that he ever did before I came into the picture were all 100% trying to attack, trying to kill very similar to Eddie, like Eddie was, it was like this too, just every role is a competitive role, you know, for the most part. And um, I think, uh, you know, as he started training with me and seeing the way that I train, just like giving people arms and, and going into bad positions and stuff, he wasn't as used to seeing that, but when he started to see me do it, I think it, it caught on for him a little bit more. Um, he definitely, I definitely feel him doing that in training, even with me when I'm training with him and stuff like that. I can feel, you know, sometimes it pisses me off because I'm like, oh man, he's just gonna, he's gonna just like give me his arm now and you know, he's this cocky son of a bitch, you know, but <laughs> no, but uh, you know, I, I like it, you know, it makes me, it makes me happy to see because it, it means, it, to me, it, it makes me feel like he, he caught on to like some of those lessons and he's taking it to heart and, and uh, you know, it's one of the reasons that he's, he's so diff, uh, tough today. And um, so he definitely does that, but he also, ha I would say he's much, he leans much more towards Eddie's side of things than I do. Um, like he's, I would say he, he goes for the kill in, in training and, and things, and even in competition more so than I do. Um, and it's something that has changed in me actually when I started training um, around Eddie and some of these other guys at Henzo's. I learned to, um, to go for the kill a little bit more, you know, myself, because I realized that I think sometimes my, my training was a little too playful. Um, where like I needed that, I needed that competitive grit. Where sometimes like you just go and you really try to attack somebody and you really try to submit them as many times as you can. I didn't do that as much, you know, previous to me to being in that group with all those guys. Um, 
I guess when you have all these guys around the same, like this high level, you know, working together, then it develops a little bit more of a competitive environment. But that's kind of what I learned from training with him is that like, there's, there's kind of two things that you're working on. One is, all right, I want to improve like overall my jujitsu. And then the other is I want to improve my ability to improve my ability to win in jujitsu, right? And both are things that need to be worked on um, at different points in your training. Um, and when you're doing those, like, oh, putting yourself in bad positions, all those sort of things, that's, that's you improving your skill set as a whole in jiu-jitsu. And then when you're attacking and you're really trying to win, you're, you're developing your competitive winning strategy in jiu-jitsu. I think that's important for even non-competitive students because eventually, like, if they got into a fight, right, like, they need a winning strategy. They're not going to be, like, fucking around, like, <laughs> you know, giving an arm or a leg or whatever. They're going to, you know, they, they need to have a way to win. Like, all right, well, what's your best submission hold? All right, my best submission hold is a guillotine. Well... Now, when I train with this guy, I'm going to try my best to get to that guillotine a million times, you know, from whatever position, and that's going to be my strategy. But if you took that strategy every role forever, your whole jiu-jitsu, you'd only develop one part of your jiu-jitsu. You know, your strength is your guillotine, and that would never change. You'd never get other strengths, you know. Um, so there's a mixture of both for sure. But I think Gordon leans more towards, like, the attacking style. I'm more passive, and Eddie would be the highest end of the attacking style for sure, with not not being as interested in like giving up arm bars and things like that. Right. And, and now, uh, one thing kind of, kind of changed, changed a little bit. We talked about jujitsu training. Now you're, you're getting ready for an MMA fight. Sure. So something new for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, <laughs> what, what, what's it been like to, to train, to start to, I mean, I, I'm assuming you, you hadn't spent a lot of time on striking because you, you were spending so much time competing yeah. and doing jujitsu. What's it like, you know, trying to learn the other aspects of MMA, the the and even adjustments maybe to yeah. to your to your grappling and mm -hmm. things like that. How, what, what's what's that been like? So what a lot of people don't know is that I actually did spend prior to prior to now I did spend like a good year year and a half sparring uh, with zero understanding of what I was doing. Um, around the same time that Tom was starting to fight MMA. Tom was fighting MMA, but he ran a jiu-jitsu school. So it wasn't like he was really looking to teach his students how to do MMA. Like, we didn't have really, like, boxing classes or things like that. Like, he had, like, maybe, like, one kickboxing class a week or something, you know. It wasn't anything serious, and it wasn't, like, sparring-related. It's, like, hitting pads, right? So, you know, I see Tom doing MMA, and he's setting up, like, MMA sessions, and he'd be going to Ricardo's a couple times a week to spar and stuff. And I, you know, I'm just, like, trying to follow after my instructor, essentially, you know. So I'm like, all right, he's doing this. Like, let me get these practices in too. It can only make me better. It'll learn. It'll help me learn how to use my jujitsu in a fight, you know. So, <laughs> so I'm doing these sparring sessions, just walking forward and getting punched in the face, <laughs> trying to take people down. And then like you take somebody down and they just get right back up because it's just sparring, right? So you're just getting exhausted. I'm just running forward trying to take people down. So it's kind of funny. Um, not a very intelligent approach back then, to say the least. But uh, yeah, now now I'm trying to be a little bit smarter. Like I'm actually trying to develop my striking skills uh, when it comes to Muay Thai boxing and stuff like that. Um, so it's been interesting, you know. It's it's a totally different feeling, you know, being in a being in a martial art now that I have limited experience in, um, at least many of the aspects, no experience in. So it's like starting from square one in a lot of ways. Um, it's frustrating, you know, because you come from an area of expertise and now it's, you're starting from scratch. So, 
Um, you have to you have to be that white belt all over again in many aspects and in many different things, and it's just hard, you know, to put yourself in that place. And that's the same reason I tell my students all the time, like the higher level guys, like just remember, like you were a white belt once, you know, you might get frustrated because this guy like up kicked you in the face throwing rolls, but you know, you were there, you were the spastic idiot once, you know, and that's me in sparring right now, you know, it's just just very. Uh, I'm trying to learn everything as best as possible. I'm trying to take the most intelligent approach, but of course, you know, I'm very raw, very new to this. So it's, uh, it's tough, but it's rewarding as well, you know. And, and you, I know you were just, had, were involved a little bit in George St. Pierre's uh, latest fight camp. And uh, how, how, does, how does training with him and being involved in that team, you know, with, with John and the other, you know, our, the other coaches in our team, we have a great, I think Team Henzo is, I think you can say this for confidence, one of the best MMA teams as well, sure. not only jiu-jitsu teams, you look at the record, but what, what, um, uh, what, how's that like influenced, you know, being, being involved in that, how's that, how's that kind of influenced your, time. your training? Um, yeah, so it's really cool to be around all these different guys, you know, specifically, you know, guys like George that are at the highest level in mixed martial arts. It's, it's pretty awesome to be able to even just be in the same room with a guy like that, much less uh, be able to help him, you know, with some aspect of his, um, some aspect of his fighting style. You know, we've been actually able to take part in camps with George and Rory and, um, different guys from Henzo's as well that, that are training in New York, you know, uh, working on their grappling skills. And um, I think it's just one of those things where um, you get to be around people of a high level in a particular aspect, whether it's mixed martial arts or boxing or kickboxing. It's just seeing these people move and, and work and, and uh, spar and all, and all these things, it, it gets you better because it shows you, you know, what things are supposed to look like. You mean... Even just from a scientific perspective, you have mirror neurons that attempt to um, attempt to copy essentially what you're seeing. So if what you're seeing all the time is like mid to low low level, you know, guys, and that's it, and you don't know, have anybody to watch that is very good, um, it's tough sometimes I think to to reach the highest levels in anything. So it's been really good to have him around to kind of help us. You know, he's mostly focused on him when he's doing camp, you know, with his grappling. But uh, you know, here and there, he'll give us some drills and stuff that we should do for mixed martial arts, and it's helped me. It's helped me to watch his sparring sessions and things, and um, it's it's been really cool because it gives me a little inside look into what I'm to expect, you know, moving forward. And he's shared even not even not just technical information, but just pieces of uh, you know things mentally that you need to think about during fighting with me here and there, and things that I've used even in grappling. And I'm very thankful for the experience. I think that it's made me better as a grappling athlete, and I think it'll make me better in the future in MMA as well. What do you think, uh, just, just to kind of wrap up here, what, can you give one example of something like that that kind of helped you that he maybe he said or yes. you observed or something like that? The, I, I did say this in another interview, so I hate to repeat myself again, but it's just the thing that, sticks, that stuck with me most through anything uh, that George had ever talked to me about. And uh, it was essentially, the talk, the talk we had was about investing in yourself um, because I think this is around the time during the Nick Diaz camp and George, we just had a conversation while we were in the car and he mentioned something uh, about how, you know, he's bringing, he brings in different people to train and like the best kickboxers or the best boxers or the best jujitsu guys or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, he always does a good job of taking care of us, you know, flies us down there and everything like that. Obviously, I'm at a different pay scale at this point. You know, George was, was highly successful at that point in time um, and still is. 
Uh, but he just said, man, you know, whether it's the coaching, whether it's your training partners, whatever the case may be, he's like, invest in yourself. He's like, I would rather lose money winning a fight than make money losing a fight. He's like, do whatever you can to improve your skills and to get better, whatever it costs, whatever sacrifices you have to make, you know, do it because in the, in the end, it's gonna be worth it when, you know, you have your hand raised. And uh, it, it was interesting for me because now we're at a time in jiu-jitsu where jiu-jitsu is becoming a little bit more professional and there's money to be made in things and, you know, people ask us questions, is it about the money, this, that, and the other thing? And, and like, yes, but at the same time, it's like, I'm really in this to get good. Like I'm in this to, to, to develop my skills to the highest level. And then one day, I'll be, when I'm done competing, I'll be able to, to focus solely on coaching and, and then I'll have you know, the, the greatest, highest level experience possible to, to talk to my students about you know, what, what I did and, and how I did things and how, what I think could work in their fighting style or jujitsu or whatever the case may be. And, so overall, that's, that's it, is, is the best advice he ever gave to me so far that I think has impacted me was to just invest in myself and, and uh, consistently try to be around the people that are the best in the world at what they do to try to get you to be the best that you can be. Yeah. Well, that's great advice, and we'll, we'll wrap it up with that because we got to go teach another session. So yeah. <laughs> we have a couple more sessions here at the camp, and... Uh, we, we have to do that, but let's do this again sometime. That yeah, was really, absolutely. that was, that was uh, a lot of good advice for jujitsu students and really anybody that's training in any, anything. I think there's some good takeaways and thanks for talking today, Gary. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun, man. I'm sure I'll see you guys out in Pittsburgh sometime soon. Yeah, soon, we'll see you soon. <laughs>